Welcome to the Horizon DeFi Podcast, where we explore DeFi, synthetic assets, and the potential impact they will have on our economy. I am your host, Stanton Wong, the Education Director of the Horizon Protocol Project, and welcome to our fourth episode. Today, we will be exploring the role that CEXs play in the crypto ecosystem, comparing them against DEXs, the pros and cons of CEXs, and what an ideal CEX might look like. As usual, Jay, one of the core team members of Horizon Protocol, will be joining me for this conversation. Let's dive right in. The topic today, we're going to be doing DEXs versus CEXs. And I think there's a lot to talk about there, mainly because in the past couple of months, we've seen a lot of CEXs basically crash and burn. And most of them crash and burn because they had some degenerate uh, gambling leaders so my my first question for you is, how would you define CEXs and DEXs? How would you define their difference? Well, I mean, a CEX would be a kind of more traditional entity, like a business in a traditional world that just operates an exchange that instead of trading, you know, equities or whatever, it trades crypto. So they're not smart contract based. They're not on the blockchain. They're just normal businesses that facilitate, you know, cryptocurrency transactions and fiat on and off ramps, essentially. So they operate within the legal paradigm of the country that they operate in and do financial services for fiat into crypto. That's kind of how I see it. And then with the centralized exchanges, everything exists on chain. You have more transparency in terms of what's going on with the exchange, like any sort of decentralized exchange is, um, you can see the code, you know exactly where the funds are going. There's there, there's more transparency while still offering similar features as a centralized exchange, but it's all in the crypto world. There's a limitation between with the DEX world is that it, there isn't like a uh, a clear fiat on ramp. I mean, there's stable coins and stuff like that, but if you just if you're holding like real fiat to get into DEXs is not exactly a simple thing. You kind of have to utilize CEXs. So a DEX is similar to a CEX, but is always publicly visible on chain, which makes it fully transparent and decentralized, but without easy access to on and off ramps. Yeah, DEX is just, you know, everything's on chain, everything is transparent. And a lot of them are, you know, if the chain is decentralized, then they are also decentralized. Actually, you can be on a decentralized and not be decentralized. Wait, what is an example of a decentralized platform that's not decentralized? Well, I mean, your protocol, you could have smart contracts on a blockchain. And, and, and if that blockchain is decentralized, therefore, your DEX technically would be decentralized. But if you have centralized points within your contract where one entity can just change something, you know, for example, that is fundamental. You know, this is where like rug pulls and that kind of stuff happens. Rug pools happen because it's centralization. Even in a decentralized world, there's levels of decentralization. That makes perfect sense. It's very important for people doing their due diligence to understand not just one or two of the smart contracts being used, but actually all of the smart contracts being used by a certain protocol. Because obviously being decentralized, the entire protocol is supposed to be based on all the smart contracts together. And so for example, from our perspective, it would be like, what things can be changed? How can you update the smart contracts? And if the updating of smart contracts, if it affects some of the core parts of the protocol, 
is there a way to rug pull by updating one or two smart contracts or or is it very hard to do that i think that all needs to be generally considered yeah i mean there's like a lot of different dexs have different like ways of dealing with that you know some have time locks where if they make any sort of change to smart contract level um it has to go through a time lock period and that time lock they have to basically submit the transaction what's going to happen and then after the time lock period has passed then that thing will take effect on chain so that people can transparently see what is being like uploaded into the time lock and gives people time to react essentially so you know with a time lock some dx's use time locks that allow people to see what is being changed on the smart contracts um, before they actually happen and gives people time to essentially react to it so they can submit to the time lock and then if there's any sort of malicious activity to it it gives people time to react to it before it's too late essentially that's that's one way other ways are like people have more of a dao structure where they you know have to utilize more of a dao process before and multi-sig and all these kinds of things everyone has to agree to it before it happens essentially mm. just for a little bit more knowledge what is what is multi-sig and how does that work yeah so a multi-sig is essentially a multi-signature wallet it's a smart contract that requires the permission of a certain amount of people before any transaction can be done with that wallet so there can be someone who submits a transaction and then other people have to sign off on it. And if there's enough sign-offs to meet a threshold, then that transaction will go through. So it's a way to kind of protect a wallet from a centralized, like one person trying to do something bad, a rogue actor or something like that. Um, it adds a little bit more security. There's usually also a mechanism where you can like add and remove people from the multi-sig. So you can be managed by a group of people as well. And um, it just adds more security to a wallet. Got it. The fact that crypto is decentralized, it makes us think a lot about these different pieces for security. While in CX is, I mean, like in a typical business, the main way you deal with this is through a few signatures, right? So like paperwork, signature, who signs off on it, and then it goes to the next person to be implemented. And so just going back to CEXs, when you're talking about how like a CEX works, it generally just reminds me of how there are a lot of, like in, in financial trading the, in the real world, there's a lot of dark pools. So things that are not as obvious or transparent to the general public. Mm. It feels like CEX leans towards that direction, mainly because they can be hidden. They don't have to show you everything that's happening because it's all happening locally on their platform it's not happening on chain yeah i think that's probably one of the biggest weaknesses of centralized exchanges yeah i mean i I, I would agree with that i mean a lot of it is hidden under the guise of ip and you know this is their proprietary system and all this stuff so they don't have to share it because that's their competitive advantage essentially that also can mask things like nefarious activities and other things as well and no one can really know about it until either something completely goes wrong, like in the case of FTX and, and other platforms, or, you know, they get under, they go under investigation by the, like a law enforcement agency or something like that, where they can expose a lot of the information, but the average person cannot see these things. And um, this is where they just kind of have to trust people based on their background and, 
their social media presence and that's the the only way people can kind of evaluate and and they just kind of hope that this person is incentivized to not do such things you know to work in the best interest of of everyone else but it's clear that that's not always the case and if there isn't clear enough regulation for that then i'm pretty sure that there's always going to be someone trying to exploit it what kind of exploitation might we see in dexes then with decentralization you'll still have a situation where people are trying to exploit others it usually boils down to someone exploiting someone's lack of knowledge or lack of willingness to try to understand rather than being able to hide it completely because everything done on a blockchain is transparent so once it's done it's you can just for the rest of time you can backtrack it and look at everything that happened so the scams and rug pulls on dexes are mainly preying on people's lack of knowledge a lot of these projects that try to rug pull people they just try to get in and out i mean they're not trying to hide it at all they're just trying to kind of arbitrage the information gap between what they know and what their users know in a lot in a sense so it's a little bit different But at the end of the day, if people are diligent or willing to put in their research, they can protect themselves. They have the ability versus in a centralized world, all those people who put their money on FTX, even if they did all the due diligence they could, they probably could not know about this. There's almost no way. Yeah, because it's just the information's hidden. There's nothing they could see. Exactly. It reminds me generally of also just like financial crimes. Financial crimes often are just done by you know, adjusting your accounting records, deleting a few lines, moving a few things around, and um, all of a sudden your records look completely different. And with uh, on-chain transactions, that's almost impossible. You can't adjust the old stuff. Uh, it's all there visible. But if you're centralized or if the books aren't publicly available all the time and you have the ability to adjust to any of the uh, accounting records, things can change dramatically. Obviously, FTX, LCS, and all those really large CEXs, they've they've crashed and burned. How would you describe what happened to them? What did they do that made them insolvent? They over leveraged people's money to the point where, you know, a major project in the crypto space, such as Luna going under, could cause them to become insolvent, which means they didn't practice good risk management principles. So they got greedy essentially. You know, with the whole Luna thing, I mean, it's still kind of unknown who exactly did it or started the whole death spiral of UST and everything like that. I mean, that was kind of just a failed experiment in terms on a blockchain level where, the you know, the protocol itself was flawed and it was exploited. But then all these centralized entities who put other people's money into these protocols so much to the point where it caused a chain reaction of events that caused them to be insolvent means they they were too speculative. They didn't practice good risk management principles. There could be fraud in there as well. Like obviously with FTX, it's clear that there's like fraud, more clear at least. You're always uh, innocent until proven guilty. But just from what we know, it seems like there's a good chance it's fraud. Because it's in the centralized world, all we can do is just observe and try to protect ourselves. Do you think that CEXs should have the ability to use user funds to make bets on the market? 
In a nutshell, no, because it's basically impossible for them to be completely safe if they use other people's funds to reinvest it. It's basically impossible to guarantee that they can maintain solvency if they do that. They can't speculate on anyone's money. So that's why, like, I know with CZ and Binance, those guys, they, you know, right after the whole FTX thing, they made a big effort to try to increase transparency, that they have all the funds and everything like that. And I think that's great. Kind of like a good knee-jerk reaction. That's that's something that honestly should have been done since the beginning. But it's it's only kind of when things go terribly, terribly wrong and everyone gets hurt that it causes enough of a motivation to trigger people to actually do the thing that they know they should have done since the beginning. And even with Binance, and I think they have a long way to go in terms of how much transparency they actually have. I mean, they've just listed their assets, but they haven't really listed what they owe to the users. Like we don't know what the liabilities are. You know, maybe they only have X amount of capital in those wallets that they were transparent with, but they have 1.5 X in liabilities. Then that means they're not solvent. So there's still some room to grow. But the point is, is things are going the right direction now because of what happened. And I think that's a good thing. And it's for the long term of this space. This is how this space grows. Like you have Mount Gox, you have all these different things that happen and people change and adapt to it because they don't they don't want that to happen again because people got hurt and people fundamentally believe in this space. It's the biggest source of the next generation of innovation you know, there's going to be bumps along the way. And that's how people learn. Like no one can forecast everything in advance. And people, even if they can, they won't necessarily have the motivation until it actually happens. And that's the kind of the difference between the crypto world and like the centralized world, because in the centralized world, something really bad happens where a major bank goes insolvent. What happens? The government might step in, print a bunch of money, and bail them out to prevent an economic collapse. But the source of the contagion wasn't even addressed. Versus in crypto, those things just collapsed. People got hurt, which is very unfortunate. But now like, it kind of cleans the slate and sets a new paradigm in which the industry can operate and everyone's trying to make address those issues and fix the problem so it can't happen again. That's a difference. And that's why like, it's a self-correcting process. You know, if you just keep bailing everything out and preventing things from actually failing that were corrupt and contagious to begin with, then you're not actually creating a sustainable system in the long term. This is actually really cool because it'll be interesting to do a thought experiment to think about, let's say, for example, the US's uh, 2008 financial crisis or the 2013 financial crisis, whichever one, if the parties that were actually you know heavily involved were punished where essentially if they were not bailed out, what would the world look like today? Would these actors who were willing to take these big bets be still daring enough to do it today? Because if you made the bad bet, no one's going to bail you out. You're going to just, entire entity is going to just collapse and disappear. Mm -hmm. um, would that be better for the world today or was bailing them out correct? Thought experiment. I don't, there's no like exact answer for this, but uh, crypto is essentially showing us what it would look like if they weren't bailed out. I think this would boil down to a geopolitical issue. Because if the US just decided to let their whole banking system collapse, I mean, that would 
completely threatened their the US dollar, the dominance of the US dollar, like it would, you know, destabilize it to the point where people would it would catalyze the transition off the US dollar and the US's domination of the financial system of the world. So I mean, they had every reason in the world to not let that happen. And so I mean, printing money is like so easy to deal with this kind of outcome because the major power of the U.S. one of the major powers is the fact that they control the financial system in the U.S. dollar. If it somehow collapsed and they didn't bail out Wall Street, it's hard to know how deep the problem would go. Like that contagion. Imagine if the U.S. government was like Luna and then that collapsed. The contagion throughout the world. The whole Western world financial system could completely collapse. It, it it would cause a global catastrophe for finance, essentially. And I think a lot of people would suffer. It would be a, a catastrophe, in my opinion. The collapse of a currency has happened in the past. What happens when a global currency goes down? Usually when a global currency goes down, another country becomes a dominant country. It's usually the transition of power from one superpower to the next. That would basically initiate that process. And I think in the future, and partially just me being biased and hopeful, but I think crypto is kind of the, the off-ramp to this. It's kind of inevitable that eventually the US dollar is going to bite the dust. The whole crypto space and Bitcoin and all these guys, it's, it's just kind of like a parallel universe off-ramp that is being built. And slowly people are just off-ramping into it from traditional fiat and eventually everyone is going to off ramp into it and then there will be kind of no major global currency anymore it'll just be like bitcoin or some other decentralized entity that is trustworthy and not centralized not controlled by any singular government or entity or anything like that i i really like the some of the reasoning behind why a government would backstop the whole basically bail out the entire banking industry. And it really highlights that every currency has an inherent purpose. The US dollar is really to fundamentally help the US government or the US entity. And then every every other currency is to help their own entity in the case of large shocks into the system. While with crypto, I mean like they're obviously everyone supporting crypto wants the price to rise. But in general, there is there's less of a an entity that they're trying to support, and so in the long term, we want some of these cryptos to be tokens to be more like commodities, where there's no incentive, there's nothing you can really do with it other than speculate on its price, and anything that can replace gold in the future is going to be very valuable because of what you're saying, where a lot of the currencies will make more sense as something that's leveraged locally. And there should be other off-ramps to a, a more global tradable monetary item that can be used. Just to add on to that, gold just kind of facilitates the role of being a store of value. But Bitcoin is like so much more than that, actually. It's um, and, and a lot of cryptos in general, because it's not only a store of value, but it's also money. Like gold isn't money. It's not fungible. And it, I mean, I guess it's kind of fungible, but it's not really used... You can't send it as transactions to other people, you know, but Bitcoin is money. Like you can just send 0.00001 BTC to somebody and it would arrive in their wallet, you know, within a, like 10 minutes or whatever. You know, in addition to that, Bitcoin is also a network of participants. 
So it kind of is merging multiple different things into one. One, it's like it's merging store value, the network effect, and money into one entity, mm. which has never been done in like history. And the network effect, as we all know through the internet, is like super powerful. And that's why Bitcoin just constantly grows exponentially. As the network effect takes hold, people realize its value and its utility and all that kind of stuff. Then that's why the price keeps going up. And then the more people into it, because there's only a finite number of coins, then the theoretical roof of Bitcoin is the entire value of all stored assets on Earth. You know, so it's smart contracts. I think a lot of Bitcoin maxis, you know, that's their like perspective on it in terms of what you know. Oh, Bitcoin can hit millions in the future and stuff like that. The crypto space is it's way more sophisticated than that. You know, and there's so much innovation going on. There's so many other coins and other use cases that. All that value is not going to be just sitting in Bitcoin for sure. So, you know, there's also the other side of crypto and all the other innovation with DApps and other ERC twenty tokens and all this kind of stuff that's being built. So, I'm kind of I kind of went off topic there, but I just my main point was that the you know Bitcoin facilitates it's like a network effect store value money and not just store value like gold is. It's it's so much more. Oh, I completely agree. The design of crypto and blockchain as it is right now is for it to be very interoperable. So the value that gets stored in Bitcoin is easily transferred to other chains as well for the purposes of like investing in different kind of ideas. Smart contracts is obviously the biggest one in terms of what blockchain can do, but there's going to be a lot of other things that it's going to open up. I think, I mean, generally, this is not something we're going to go into today, but the whole concept of Web3 and how much power it gives to individuals if it gets developed properly. It's a very interesting take on where the internet is going in the future and just where technology is going to the future. So it's it's very exciting. I think we should definitely do a topic on Web 2 versus Web 3 at some point as well. In an ideal scenario, how should CEXs make their money? There's a lot of ways they can make money. <laughs> you know, like the traditional ways they make money off of fees. And then now with DeFi, existing on the back end a lot of these cx's kind of want to be a bridge to that as well so they have all these users who trust them so they kind of will also bridge their users into DeFi and the web3 world essentially in a in a kind of a easy to use way so yeah just lock your tokens here and you can kind of uh you know get an, a yield on this and then on their back end they're like they're doing all the stuff like you know staking the eth and proof of stake and doing all this stuff and then they you know and they generate the yield and then they probably take their cut and then give some back to the user but they simplify the experience for users who are not familiar with the crypto and defi and stuff like that but yeah i mean a lot of these exchanges i mean if you're just looking at the exchange as an isolated thing then it's it becomes clearer but like a lot of these big exchanges i mean they go beyond their business model of their just their crypto exchange you know like now they're becoming platforms to launch things, you know, launch tokens, launch NFTs. They're becoming like, you know, they're they're constantly innovating on ways to make money from this space. So um, they launched their, a lot of them launched their own blockchains now. I mean, after Binance did the BNB chain, then you had like KuCoin's chain and Huobi's chain and everybody kind of had all their, you know, FTX had their own chain with the ftt token so i mean that's like a whole nother 
way that they've done, they've gone. Yeah. All the things that you mentioned, though, were more focused around fees, selling or offering a service that people can purchase, mainly on the side of user experience. So a centralized entity can obviously, because they don't have to operate on the blockchain for every single transaction, there's a lot of um, leeway for how they can design certain features to be slightly more user-friendly. Mm. But in all those examples, you didn't go into, they can take some of that money and then invest it for the user without the user's consent. I think generally centralized exchanges in an ideal world are going to be essentially the same as a decentralized exchange in terms of how they how the business model works, that kind of stuff. The only difference is that they are legally obligated to follow the rules of some nation or some entity that they're doing business in because that's the only way they can do business in that way. Yes. So I guess where I was going with this is I wanted to explore what is an ideal version of a CEX. I think if CEXs can stay in their lane where they're not taking funds to take risks on it by investing them in, in the market or anything of that sort, but they play more of a role of a bank where if they do have any funds, they can offer their users the opportunity to basically stake and provide loans to other entities. That would be a, a smarter way to approach how they make money. So their goal is obviously to grow big enough that there's a lot of people interacting with their exchange where they're making fees off of it. I think that would be the most ideal situation. If a exchange focuses on that as their main business model, I don't think that many will be crashing and burning the same way that we've seen in the past couple months. I mean, by when you say loaning out Assuming that you're done, they're not loaning out user funds. They're only loaning out the their capital if they're a bank, um, like their profits essentially. Because if, if a user deposits crypto, they need to have that asset backed one to one. They can't leverage yeah. that in any way. And loan giving out loans is 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 leveraging that money. If a user has money in their centralized exchange and there's an option for them to basically lock that money in for let's say three months or six months to allow for it to be used as loans to earn extra money on that money sorry this is, this is a really bad question <laughs> should should that be allowed it wouldn't be an exchange at that point right it would be a bank so the user would go in knowing what is being done with their money. Like if, if they're putting their money into an exchange thinking that they can trade it and then withdraw it later, that's very different. And they fully expect that you're not gambling with their money. So if it's absolutely clear that yeah, that's what the user wants to do is deposit their money so they can be lent out and they can earn a yield on it, then then yeah, that's totally fine. That's its, that's its own business model. But the problem is, you know, people not knowing that their money's being lent out on exchanges, you know, that that's the problem. I guess that's happening right now where just people aren't aware of that yeah. thing. And that's where the, you know, I guess legal regulation probably has to deal with that. Yeah. I think it's very important for exchanges to be clear on what services they offer and whether or not they're just an exchange or if they're kind of stepping into the realm of being a bank or other services. Yeah. And banks sometimes go under too. And that's why, you know, a lot of governments have uh, at least uh, some kind of insurance and that kind of stuff. So in case they go under, there's some there's like a minimum amount of capital 
that the user or the person depositing can redeem in case of some insolvency event, for example. In the US, I think it's like a quarter million dollars. If you put money in the bank, you're guaranteed by the government that you can get at least that much out. Of course, any money over that and the bank goes insolvent, then you could potentially lose that. But the point is, is like the system is clear in terms of all of those things. And a bank is not going to like lie to you about that. I mean, they could, but then they would get punished in an ideal world, of course. Who knows if they're actually doing things against the rules and getting away with it. That's also very possible. But And that's another reason why decentralized exchanges are just better because anyone can hold any other person accountable because all the data is on the chain. Yeah. The last little bit I want to touch upon, something that I mention a lot, is the role that CEXs play to on-ramp and off-ramp crypto and fiat, because they are legal entities that play within the rules of nations. What is the ideal CEX structure to provide an on and off-ramp between fiat and crypto? In an ideal world, the user would have full transparency of all the assets on the exchange and all the liabilities on the exchange. So at any given time, and that's all can be verified, like ideally in a decentralized way, and they can know if the funds are there for them to withdraw at any given time. That would create a lot of uh, security in terms of that. And then exchanges honestly shouldn't ever touch those funds. They should keep everything on a one-to-one basis, and it should be like completely locked from being able to do anything outside of that. Um, and then they can facilitate, I think exchanges, centralized exchanges will always be around one because they can become, they, they will be the bridge of fiat to crypto, which always has to go through a regulatory process based on the country that they're in, which is fine. And then they can also offer layer two services on the crypto world where they just simplify crypto and make it easy for people to interact with crypto without actually having to touch the crypto world. And also give some sort of like maybe security in terms of like if things go wrong, they can offer insurance and guarantee a certain amount of money if things go bad or something like that. So they'll essentially be the middleman between the traditional like fiat world and crypto. That's kind of how I see it. And in in a way where where they kind of borrow some aspects of decentralized exchange world where there's full transparency of like funds and assets and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. I think that in the long run, if CEXs learn from DEXs and focus on transparency and making sure that they're not being overly greedy with the funds and just setting rules for themselves on how to operate, CEXs will be in a much better position because their main their main value, their main value that DEXs can't really do is that they will be within the legal system. And so they can they can do certain things that DXs cannot. If they can maintain that position, then there's a business to be had. Yeah. Cause I mean at the end of the day, like a lot of people just they want simplicity. You know, not everyone's a like crypto expert or financial expert. They want someone to do it for them and they'll pay money for it. And those are clear services that a centralized exchange can offer. And I think that demand will never go away. You know, demand for convenience, you know, just someone else to manage it. Right now, it's like there's no alternative to that in the normal traditional financial world. You always have to just try to trust a bank or whatever. There's actually, it's hard to like have complete sovereignty over your own assets these days outside of crypto. 
it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to like hoard gold. Even then, like you're at risk to like someone like just robbing you. So you have to like put it in a vault with security. So you still have to like put it in some centralized entity that you trust. What if the vault robs you? There's always those issues. But with crypto, it's, you know, you could just memorize your seed phrase, your private key and carry all your wealth in your mind. And with that, I think we have found a good place to end this episode. I hope you learned a little about the role of CEXs, the risks that they pose, and their pros and cons. Thank you very much for listening. 